0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA,
1: produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA Today, taking a look at the markets to start the day here. My goodness, we've got some red in the, on the screen in the grain markets. We've got soybeans down 15 to 22 cents. The wheat market off 23 to 24 cents. Corn also down six 5 to 6 cents, I suppose, here across the board. We're going to talk markets at the end of the program with our friends from agmarkets.net. Before we get to that, however, we have a lot of other issues worth unpacking in the world of agriculture. We're going to check in and segment two with mary thomas hart the chief counsel of the national cattlemen's beef association following the elections sec still planning their climate disclosure rule we'll get the update on mary thomas what that's going to look like and in segment three we're going to talk with our friends at the clean fuels alliance america formerly the national biodiesel board they're gearing up for that rvo announcement that renewable volume obligation announcement from the epa at the end of this month and they've got some expectations for what to expect for advanced biofuels we'll be talking with kate shank here when we get around to that in segment three. Before we do all of that, though, we are going to turn our focus back to supply chains. We continue to see soybean shippers across the country grappling with high diesel prices, dealing with low waters on the Mississippi River, and looking for new ways to get that grain or get that oil seed off our shores. Joining us now for an update on the situation is Mike Steenhook. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. And Mike, give us a Mississippi River update. Are we moving on that river today?
2: Well, the the trajectory is favorable. It's, it's it's certainly getting better. You know, this was in late October when the when we had these really historic low water levels. So let's take Memphis, Tennessee, which has been one of the the epicenters of this. It had a negative, almost a negative eleven foot reading. So it's all in, all these things are in relation to a particular river gauge, and it was at a negative. Ten point eight one, uh, I believe it. What it was. Now we, we're about five feet higher, so we're at about a negative five point eight. So there has been some, some precipitation in the Midwest, which has worked its way into the Inman waterway. So it has raised water levels to an extent. But you know, to give it some perspective, last year at this time we were at a, a, a positive almost four uh, in Memphis. Uh, so about a, a an eight you know foot difference, which is significant. Uh, when you're talking about barge transportation, so yeah, the bottom line is the the Mississippi River is still under stress. It is still uh, significantly lower than normal. It's having a negative impact on barge transportation with with uh, channel depths but also channel width. So and, and again, it continues to be at a at an inconvenient time given the fact that our our export program is is uh, we're in the sweet spot for that, particularly for soybeans.
1: We are, Mike. And so I'm sure exporters and and end users around the world are looking at this situation with concern. And I'm curious, you mentioned that some exporters are pursuing new avenues. I'm looking at the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence Seaway. Mike, how much is that being utilized by soybean shippers this year?
2: Yeah, historically, the the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway is is a, is a, a very modest launching point for soybean exports and other agricultural products, less than 2% for U.S. soybeans utilize the the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway. But, you know, the fact is there are a number of key soybean producing states that are adjacent to that system, and it's always a good day to try to diversify your supply chain. It's particularly a good day to do so when you've got these other modes of transportation, these other supply chain options under stress, like our inland waterway system, like our freight rail system. So the point that we're really trying to express is that this is a really good time to be exploring other options. There's going to be some you know, shippers and exporters in certain areas of the country where the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway is not a good option for them. Uh, but then there's others who are – it could be a viable option for them. And so we encourage people to, to look at it. The, the Soy Transportation Coalition and the St. Lawrence Seaway Management Corporation have continued our partnership in offering what's called the Gateway Incentive Agreement. And this is for exporters who want to devote new freight to the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway system. And if they do so, they would be eligible for a 50% reduction on the tolls that are imposed on utilizing the system. There are a number of locks that you have to transit when you go through, navigate the system. So it'd be a a 50% discount on those tolls. So it's just another enticement for people to look at other options. Again, we need as diverse of a supply chain as we as we possibly can.
1: Mike, here's kind of a a stupid Midwestern question for you. The St. Lawrence Seaway, of course, running between the US and Canada all the way up north there. Is it open year round? Or does it freeze closed in the winter?
2: Yeah, you you know, the the shipping season uh, usually concludes on December 31st, And then for the next two, oftentimes three months, so January, February, March, uh, it will be closed, particularly for that, the the extreme northwestern part of it. When you're by the Upper Peninsula, by Michigan, you know obviously the further east you go, you don't have the ice accumulation that you normally do. But that that is the the typical season that it does does close in in that January February, and then eventually reopens in in March due to that ice accumulation.
1: All right. So in the meantime, uh, we've got to explore other avenues for getting that soy out and the Pacific Northwest remains a great avenue for those soys from the Northern Plains getting into Asia. Mike, can you talk a little bit about some of the expansions that are happening at the Port of Grays Harbor there in Washington?
2: Yeah, the, the, the Pacific Northwest is our number two export region after the Mississippi Gulf, so really important region for, for U.S. soybean farmers and agriculture in general. And one particular project that we're really excited about is an expansion of a soybean meal export terminal by the company AGP at the port of Great Harbor, and that's located in Aberdeen, Washington, between midway, roughly midway between Seattle and Portland. And there's a current Soybean meal export facility there, but then AGP announced a basically a doubling of that capacity, which will come online in 2025. So very exciting development. And what soybean, a collection of soybean farmer organizations, decided to do is to encourage to, to invest in this supply chain by providing 1.3 million dollars to help underwrite some of the pre-engineering and design expenses that the port of Grace Harbor is having to incur by adding their rail capacity to serve this new export facility. So that's really, really exciting. It's just a commitment by soybean farmers in their own infrastructure to really enhance the profitability of the of the industry. A really exciting development that recently was announced was the U.S. Maritime Administration uh, approved a grant for $25.5 million to help underwrite the cost of this expansion at the Port of Grace Harbor. So it's just a great example of a company AGP, the Port of Grace Harbor, the federal government, and soybean farmers all coming together to help uh, enhance our export capacity, particularly for soybean meal, when we're seeing all this additional processing that is currently underway and then also is announced. We're going to have to, it provides an opportunity to to export more soybean meal. And this is one particular specific project that's going to do that in the very near term. And soybean farmers were pleased to be a part of it.
1: Absolutely. That is very exciting to hear some new avenues for exports being built on that West Coast. Folks, we have been talking with Mike Steenhook, the Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you, Mike, for having me.
1: And, folks, stick around. We're going to check in with Mary Thomas Hart, Chief Counsel of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, when AOA returns.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
3: As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a 9-to-5. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System goes all in to help you stay on top, backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
4: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come.
5: Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group, all rights reserved.
6: This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.
4: At Brevont, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly three million times against the competition. How many? Three million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word. Take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant seats. It's about time. Bravant multi year on farm pre commercial head to head comparisons, third party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons.
7: You are not your diagnosis.
4: A medical chart is not your identity.
7: And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven to, To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage.
4: An advocate for hope.
7: You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding.
4: We're fighting macular degeneration.
7: Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases.
4: We fund.
7: We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness.
3: Together, we are fighting blindness.
4: Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike
1: Pearson. Welcome back ladies and gentlemen to AOA certainly appreciate being a part of your day today and well one of the things that we are working on is unpacking the ramifications of that midterm election vote that happened last week what's it going to mean for the country as a whole and what's it going to mean for the priorities of the Biden administration. Well joining us on that front is Mary Thomas Hart she is the chief counsel at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Mary Thomas thanks so much for joining us today.
7: Thanks for having me on.
1: You know, I want to pick your brain first uh, with an issue that's uh, kind of been on the back burner as we were heating up through the midterm elections, and that's the SEC climate disclosure rule. Mary Thomas, the rule that would require all public companies to report all of their greenhouse gas emissions. Is Gary Gensler at the SEC still pushing for that rule?
7: I think that this is a really good example of kind of the cross-administration effort we've seen with this White House um, to implement regulations and rules. With a climate related foundation. So you would never think of the Securities and Exchange Commission as a regulatory agency charged with um, implementing climate related rules or environmental regulations. But that's exactly what we saw earlier this year when they proposed a rule to mandate greenhouse gas emissions reporting from publicly traded companies. And that proposed mandate would include scope three or direct emissions, scope two or Emissions related to energy generation and scope three or supply chain emissions, which means that any beef cattle producer that is selling their animals or you know product into a supply chain or to a company that's publicly traded um, would be or could be required to provide greenhouse gas emissions data. We know that that's not a methodology that we have readily available, right? Farmers and ranchers aren't able to currently accurately calculate their greenhouse gas emissions. And so until we're able to do that, it it seems unfair to producers and uh, shareholders in those companies to provide knowingly inaccurate information.
1: And Mary Thomas, I know at NCBA and a lot of other ag industry groups have been very active in, in telling the EPA that, look, we just don't have the capacity to do this. And a lot of non-ag groups have also been encouraging the same thing here from the SEC. Is there any indication that this proposal might, might go away or be pulled?
7: Absolutely. And I think you you know, you know mentioned the EPA. And I think it's important to note the EPA has been trying to develop accurate emissions estimation methodologies for agriculture for close to 15 years and they've had very little success. These are these are the actual technical experts charged with developing a methodology like that. So for an agency like the SEC that has very little or probably no environmental technical experts on staff to to issue this proposed mandate is It was a wild concept from the beginning. Um, I think we've seen a couple things happen in D.C. that could, you know, scale back the impact of that final rule. First, uh, this summer, the EPA issued its, its decision in West Virginia versus EPA, which was related to the Clean Power Plan. But in that decision, the Supreme Court told the Biden administration and the executive branch generally that in order for them to act on issues that are politically divisive you know that are that are you know kind of at center stage politically, there needs to be a very direct mandate from Congress. So, you know, when we look at this SEC rule, it's not clear where in statute Congress has told the SEC that they can act in this manner. So I think that's going to require them to to take a second look at this proposal. There were also some kind of odd uh, procedural issues this fall when the agency realized that it actually lost about 700 comments uh, in the docket. So they had to kind of go Go back and and reconfigure some things go back and find those comments. So while they were expecting to finalize this rule before the end of 2022, now they don't expect to finalize a rule until 2023.
1: Okay, so we'll be expecting that finalized rule proposal and then Mary Thomas, when that final rule proposal comes out, will we have the opportunity to comment again?
7: We will not. So we had the opportunity to comment on the proposed rule, um, but likely the next thing that we'll see is a final rule from the SEC. So once a final rule is dropped, um, our efforts move from the executive branch to, you know, if necessary, the judicial branch. So our only real option for uh, kind of going back and, and reworking that rule, if it comes out, you know, with scope three emissions would be, you know, litigation, which is something that we do here at NC CBA when when a final rule is is especially damaging or, or creates a really high risk for our producers. Um so I'm not, you know, saying what's gonna happen in the future. You know, we we can't all look into a crystal ball. Um, but I think you know that's something that we are prepared for and, and are certainly considering um, we hope that the rule is finalized without scope three emissions um, reporting requirements and then we wouldn't have to worry about it and farmers and ranchers wouldn't be subject to any any kind of reporting requirement.
1: Now, I think that's a really interesting point, Mary Thomas. So if this final rule comes out and they've dropped the scope three, it's just scopes one and two, and- would NCBA not have a problem with this piece of ruling, or would it be perhaps one more step towards eventually rolling to a scope three emissions uh,
0: requirement? Obviously,
7: obviously there is there is some inherent risk, right, in creating any reporting requirement like that. But I think we are more confident in the science behind scope one and scope two emissions calculations, right? And at the end of the day, um, I think one of the biggest issues for us is making sure that, you know. If, if the purpose of this rule is to provide shareholders of public public companies with accurate information, um, scope one and scope two emissions reporting would would go a long way to provide accurate information to those shareholders. When we get into scope three reporting is when you uh, lose a lot of the accuracy in those data calculations and those emissions reporting requirements. So, you know, I think as long as we're able to provide shareholders with accurate information information. information and help them make wise investing decisions, um, it's something that we could be generally supportive of. And, and obviously, uh, we, we remain diligent in DC, you know, and, and when something gets, you know, high risk for our producers, when we see, uh, you know, uh, a move to go back to you know scope three emissions or to potentially pull those in, uh, we will reactivate on the issue. But you know, like I said, this is all, this is all perspective. Um, we haven't seen a final rule yet, but you know, we are, I, I'm gonna say hopeful, um, not I don't know if we're optimistic, but we're hopeful that that the SEC will finalize a rule without scope three reporting requirements.
1: All right. Or then the battle moves to the courtrooms. And Mary Thomas, I know, as you mentioned, NCBA, no stranger to the courtrooms on issues that matter to producers like WOTUS, Waters of the U.S. Give us an update. Is EPA still writing their their new WOTUS rule, even though the SCOTUS case is pending?
7: It was kind of a quiet year in the WOTUS world until October. Um, So we we had a proposed rule that. You know, NCBA and and other shareholder stakeholders uh, submitted comments on earlier this year, and that rule from the Biden administration is actually sitting at the White House. So we expect there to be a final rule from the Biden administration by the end of the year, and that would be a, um, a rescission of the Trump navigable waters protection rule um, and a reinstatement. Uh, in the Biden administration's terms of a kind of status quo rule. So it's not as extensive as the 2015 WOTUS definition. Um, It's not as scaled back as the Navigable Waters Protection Rule. It's their their, uh, attempt to find some middle ground. But I think our concern is that in finding that middle ground, they removed a lot of really helpful agricultural exemptions that were actually included in both the 2015 rule and the 2020 rule. So losing those kind of bipartisan agricultural exemptions is pretty concerning for NCBA and other agricultural groups. Now, while the administration is moving through the regulatory process, the Supreme Court also considered Sackett versus EPA in early October, which was the fourth attempt by the Supreme Court to define WOTUS. Now, Currently, six of the nine justices that are on the bench have never considered WOTUS. This was their first WOTUS case. Um, And it was really fun to kind of watch them flex their muscles um, and consider this new question, right, for them. And, And I think that the takeaway from that case was that there is... Very little loyalty to the existing Supreme Court WOTUS test. Um, this this new crop of judges could give us an entirely new definition of Wotus, which, you know, I think we would we would welcome because if anything has been proven from the you know 10 years following the Rapanos rule, um, it's that those two standards that we got in the Rapanos case, significant nexus and continuous service connection, those are those are more confusing than they are helpful. So I'm open to a new interpretation from the Supreme Court.
1: All right, we'll be watching for that new interpretation to come out potentially when the Supreme Court releases their final decisions here early next year. In the meantime, folks, we have been talking here with Mary Thomas Hart, the Chief Counsel of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Mary Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today and good luck fighting the good fight there in DC. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to take a look at the biodiesel market. We're going to talk with our friends from the Clean Fuels Alliance America, Kate Chang, the Director of Regulatory Affairs, will be joining us when AOA returns.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
6: This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.
4: At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times! Hey man, I'm standing right next to you? Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi year on farm pre commercial head to head comparisons, third party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons.
8: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at what's going on in this market trade, yesterday we saw late-session volatility in the grain and oil seed markets as we got reports that missiles had fallen into Poland that appeared to be Russian-made. However, those reports uh, quickly have been uh, refuted. As Western officials have said, it appears those missiles uh, evidently came from Ukrainian air defense systems, even though they were Russian made. So that appears to have eased some of the tensions in the Black Sea region here for a short time. We also see positive reports about Russia willing to extend the Ukrainian grain deal, which expires coming up here on the 19th. Corn is a little bit off the lows from the overnight. We're down three to four while soybeans are down 21 to 25 got some pressure there worries about brazil's big crop of soybeans that are potentially on the way also wheat markets under some pressure here as well as we work through our session on wednesday the u.s dollar index has been under pressure yesterday and a little bit of pressure so far on wednesday with the dollar down six basis points at 106.23 energies crude oil down as well 212 a barrel, lower, last check 84.80, with the stock market relatively quiet. Over in the livestock trade, it's mostly mixed action there on Wednesday. On the cattle side, traders are already apparently gearing up for the cattle on feed report coming up on Friday, waiting for the results of that and maybe doing a little bit of position squaring ahead of that report. Well, the hog market has been a bit up and down uh, on the day so far with front months trading a little bit higher. Both cattle and hogs, traders are also looking to cash, uh, looking at pork cutout values and uh, box beef prices to get a little bit of support in both of these complexes. Overall, a mostly lower market day on Wednesday as we work through the trading session. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen
9: reporting.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
1: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. You know one of the slow moving stories we've been keeping track of here in the ag industry is the releases from the EPA on the renewable volume obligations, the requirements for the amount of biofuels to blend into the nation's gasoline supply. Earlier this month, we were expecting to get those final RVOs or at least the proposed RVOs for 2023 tomorrow, but EPA and Growth Energy signed a decree they're going to kick those back to the end of the month, November 30th. It's not just the corn ethanol folks that are waiting for these rvos from epa we're also seeing a lot of i guess patience on the part of america's biodiesel producers joining us now to talk about that segment of the liquid fuel sector is kate shag she's the director of regulatory affairs at clean fuels alliance america kate thank you so much for joining us today
5: great thank you
1: You know, before we get into the issues at hand, Clean Fuels Alliance America, it's a newer name that maybe some of the folks in our audience uh, might not be familiar with, but you're not a new group. Tell us a little bit about what it is CFA is doing.
5: Yeah, so uh, we may be familiar as formerly the National Biodiesel Board, but uh, Clean Fuels Alliance America, uh, just make sure that we're fully representing all of our members from the biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation space, um, including all those throughout the supply chain
1: absolutely and it is a space Kate, that is growing we're seeing lots and lots of headlines about biodiesel renewable biodiesel production sustainable aviation fuel as you mentioned can you talk about the direction that this industry is going is the is the action on the ground matching the headlines is the is the hype real in the biodiesel space
5: it's definitely real um we are seeing a lot of growth, especially uh, in the renewable diesel market. and we're fortunate to see that feedstocks and crush capacity are increasing to meet that demand of what's coming online.
1: All right, well that is good news out there and then this points us, I think towards the big expectation here at the end of this month. We'll be rating on those renewable volume obligations. And Kate, from your perspective, what do you expect to see from EPA at the end of this month as a results to the advanced biofuels?
5: You know, we're really hopeful that the agency really understands that the growth in our market and that the RVOs that they set are really reflective of what we anticipate coming online in the next couple of years. Um, We're really asking for aggressive growth in both uh, the biomass-based diesel space and the advanced volume.
1: And when you say aggressive growth, Kate, can you help put that into perspective? What type of growth would you like to see or would you expect to see the EPA sign off on?
5: Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, we'd like to see 1 billion gallons each year in the advanced biofuels uh, volume space and um, upwards of 500 million gallons each year for about an F-based diesel when they set the RVO.
1: And with this next RVO set, the one that's coming out at the end of this month, they'll be setting not just one year, right, Kate, but we'll be looking multiple years into the future.
5: Correct, yeah, we're anticipating uh, two to three years looking forward. Um, not sure yet, but hopefully... um, longer-term certainty is always
7: good for market
1: growth. It certainly is. And I guess one of the questions I've got for you, Kate, you mentioned one of the key goals of kind of changing the NBB to the Clean Fuels Alliance is to more fully represent the industry that's been changing a lot and to make sure the folks in D.C. understand how well it's changing. On the regulatory affairs side, working with regulators and policymakers, do you feel as though those folks have an understanding of how much this industry has been changing?
5: I, I think they do. Um, just trying to ensure that as others are growing that we don't um, let other markets go away at the same time. All, all these additional fuels um, coming online, we want them to be additive um, so that the benefits of our space can continue to grow, not switch one out for the other. So we want to be growing and increasing both in the biodiesel and the renewable diesel space um, to really have biofuels have the full reach
1: absolutely that is vital now as you think kate longer term about some of the issues that could pop up from a regulatory perspective beyond the rvo issues what else are you watching in dc that that the industry would like to see changed
5: you know from a regulatory standpoint we're always looking to usda additional feedstock stock opportunities and infrastructure incentives so through usda the higher Blend infrastructure incentive program has been very beneficial um to increase um our fuels coming online and you know in the past we've seen already an additional 1 billion gallons of biodiesel through the success of that program so looking forward to that um going forward again
1: all right so and you mentioned working volume? working oh sorry what'd you say there kate
5: no anything that can really increase volumes whether it's from feedstock or infrastructure is what we're looking at
1: Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned feedstock. That's where I wanted to go next, Kate. You, you said working with the USDA on feedstock opportunities. One of the neat things about the renewable biodiesel space is it's not just one feedstock, like we see perhaps with, with corn ethanol or with soy-based biodiesel. Can you tell us a little bit about what sort of feedstocks the companies under CAA are working with?
5: Yeah, so that's uh, the great thing. Um, pretty diverse market. So can use soy oil, canola oil, uh, use cooking oil, corn oil, um, other waste feedstocks, um, it's a great opportunity um, and really just depends on the market and um, additional feedstocks trying to come online, such as winter annual oil seeds as well.
1: Oh, interesting. So there is a development there to bring those winter annuals in to the fold?
5: There is, yes. Yeah, just trying to grow all, all areas um, to keep up with the demand.
1: You know, one of the neat things about the, the push towards renewable biodiesel is the flexibility in feedstocks means it's much less geographically uh, zoned in. Like we see with the, the corn ethanol industry, we've got plants all around the country. Kate, with the midterm elections in the rearview mirror, were there any policies or proposals that that changed following the election or that you think might change now that we've got perhaps a new Congress coming down in January? You know, it's
5: really fortunate about... Uh, our space is very uh, bipartisan. So, you know, the change in Congress isn't a huge impact if we have support uh, fully on both sides of the aisle. As you mentioned, our diverse feedstocks put us in uh, multiple states. um, And so we really can reach that area and really have a good story to tell, um, whether it's on the environment, infrastructure, and job creation.
1: On the job creation front, Kate, are you still seeing employment rise in the biodiesel space? I assume with more plants coming online, I imagine that, that more people are going to work here.
5: Yeah, definitely. So we just um, completed a new study on the economic impact of biodiesel on the U.S. economy. Um, and just on last year's numbers alone, um, it was over 75,000 jobs. And that's up from um, previous jobs, which were about 65,000 in 2018. So. So a huge increase
1: there. Absolutely, ten thousand more jobs in just about four short years. That is the sign of an industry that's growing. Kate, you know we've seen a lot of changes to tax policy come out here over the past couple of years, and I, I know that a lot of biodiesel pro, uh, uh, plants are excited about that. Are, are you seeing, I should say, a lot of biofuel producers are excited about the tax credit changes in the biodiesel space? Is there that same sort of enthusiasm for some of the programs that have been developed over this past year?
5: Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, very grateful that the biodiesel tax credit is continuing uh, for two additional years. Um, And then interesting to see what comes out of the clean field production tax credit, um, which will provide um, U.S. producers additional um, tax policy going forward. And, you know, anytime you have consistent policy going forward, um, the markets react and grow. And um, that's what our members like to see.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that uh, clean fuel production tax credit that is going to go to biodiesel producers, correct? It's the plants that would receive that credit in theory, then can pass that value back up the value chain.
5: Exactly.
1: All right. Do we have any indication as to when the details for that might start rolling out?
5: You know, I'm not quite sure exactly on that, but we are definitely providing our feedback to the Treasury and letting them know. Um, WHAT OUR FUELS CAN DO AND WHAT OUR MEMBERS WOULD LIKE TO SEE TO BE SUCCESSFUL UNDER THAT TAX OPPORTUNITY.
1: Absolutely, especially in a time when we've got gas prices continuing to stay high, anything we can do to bring more liquid fuels into production and save the consumer a little bit of money certainly is going to be appreciated this time. Kate, while we've got you on the line and we're thinking about this industry, an industry that's maturing and changing a lot, there's a lot of excitement in it right now. And I would imagine that at the convention later or early January 2023, that excitement's going to carry through. Are you fired up for the Clean Fuels Alliance convention already?
5: Oh, definitely. We are already preparing to, you know, see what new information we can share with the industry and our members and hopefully bring new folks into the conversation.
1: Absolutely. And folks, if you are interested in attending, it is going to be in January, January 23rd, 24th and 25th. And I believe it's in Tampa this year, isn't it, Kate?
5: That's correct.
1: Oh boy, not a bad place to be in January is Tampa, Florida. If you're interested in the the changes and developments happening in the, the renewable biofuel space Clean Fuel Alliance Convention, you can get the information at cleanfuelsconference.org. And Kate, I've got a question for you. Looking out to next year, new Congress, new priorities, anything you really hope they hit the ground running and doing when they get into uh, office there in January?
5: Oh, I mean, I just think that, you know, any pressure that Congress can apply to um, EPA to get these volumes out and growing is what we really need to see.
1: Absolutely. That's what it is all about. Kate, before we let you go, if we've got listeners who are curious about Clean Fuels Alliance, maybe they want to learn a little bit more about what it is you folks are doing and the work you're doing in Washington, D.C., where can they go for more information?
5: Yeah, you can check out our website at cleanfuels.org.
1: Excellent, folks. Cleanfuels.org. Check that out, though. Part of the future of liquid fuels is happening right there. We've been speaking with Kate Shank. She is the Director of Regulatory Affairs there at Clean Fuels Alliance America. And, Kate, thank you so much for joining us today.
5: Very good. Thank you.
1: And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We're going to dig into these market moves today. Soybeans still down 17 to 25 cents. The wheat market off 12 to 18 cents. Jim McCormick of agmarket.net will be joining us to end the show. We're going to talk about just what's developing there and what's happening over on the livestock side. Mixed trade there in cattle and hogs. Folks, stick around. More AOA coming up after this.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
9: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
5: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
9: Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one,
1: Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at AARP.org slash caregiving. That's AARP.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
3: As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a 9 to 5. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices.
4: I think farming picked me. (laughs) I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly three million times against the competition. How many? Three million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry. Got a little excited. Don't take us at our word. Take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds. It's about time. Bravant Multi-Year On-Farm Pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons.
6: This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed
1: on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, we're going to turn our attention over to the commodity markets in this next segment. Jim McCormick of AgMarket.net joins us here. And Jim, we've got soybeans on a bit of a sell-off today, 17 to 25 cents down, following a what I thought was a pretty impressive October crush report from the National Oilseed Processor Association. Jim, what's going on in the soybean market?
10: Well, right now, I think what you've got to look at, Mike, is the bean oil price. It's getting uh, quite a bit under pressure today. Part of the run-up in the beans over the last couple of days has been a very good, strong, crushed margin from the U.S. domestic industry. That's driving the price up. Now you got the bean oil coming down. Part of the reason why bean oil is breaking right now is if you look at price of bean oil coming out of Brazil, you could actually be an importer of bean oil from South America, into the United States and make it work economically. So that's putting some pressure in the bean oil. And I think that's leading to a little bit of pressure in the beans, even though that crush number, as you said, was a relatively good crush number.
1: Jim, I've got kind of an ignorant question for you. Down there in Brazil, when they're exporting soy products in particular, how much capacity does Brazil have for product exports, be they meal or oil?
10: I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, the total capacity, it's usually not a lot because in general, Brazil likes to sell the raw product to the world. Argentinians, interesting enough, Mike, are they're the ones that tend to take the product and turn around and you know grind the beans themselves and sell meal and oil to the market. So they don't do a lot. So I'm not saying they're going to bring a lot of bean oil in. I'm just saying essentially if you're a bean oil consumption in the United States, what happens is if you can make that economically realistic bean Will provide provider go hey look why should I buy it from you when I buy from the Brazilians a little bit cheaper in a way to try to get that negotiate that price down a little bit that's probably what you're going to see because like I said in general we're not going to bring a lot in but we will bring some in I do believe though interesting enough as we get into the latter part of this year into the summer of 2023 I would not be surprised to see us become an importer of beans and potentially corn into the southeast from South America due to, you know, potential shortfalls of U.S. production due to the fact, you know, our production this year, especially on the corn side of the equation, was, you could argue, a shortfall because the projected carryouts below 1.2 billion are less than one month's use.
1: That's a great point, Jim. I'm really glad you brought that up. How does that how does that impact, I think, the the overall concern of a slide here in the markets? Corn's holding up relatively well today, technically with beans down twenty five. What does that do to the chart?
10: Overall, the corn chart's holding out quite well, as you mentioned. Technically speaking, we went right down and held the 100-day. Took out the 100-day yesterday on the March contract, got above it. December corn held it, so technically the corn market's holding. I would look for this corn market to find some support anytime you get down near 660, down toward the gap support, maybe 30 cents below that, Mike. The reason being is you look at what the cash market is out west, very strong cash basis. We are very dry in the United States right now. I think the producer, plain and simple, when it gets down to those levels, he's just not going to be interested in selling it. So the market's going to have to do something to bid up. Now, the one thing you might see happen, producers, is you might see a very strong cash market being done by the heavy lifting of the basis. And this is a situation, if you get a very good basis, you might consider moving some grain, at least on a basis contract, and then see if this market will respond down the line. Because the reality is the world supply is still very, very tight. The grain situation changes in the grain corridor or the argentina crop continues to get tighter you could see more demand come right back into the united states as the world tries to fill that shortage
1: jim you just mentioned as the argentinian crop gets shorter of course when we look down at brazil we look at argentina we're planning on big crops out of both of those places is the trade starting to ratchet back expectations you mentioned argentina is it happening in brazil at
10: all I think it's not exactly happening in Brazil, but we're getting a little bit of cautious because the northern and central part of Brazil overall, I believe, is doing very well, Mike. The problem is you get the far southern Brazil, kind of getting closer to that, Argentina. They're dealing with some of that dryness issues, and that is something that we need to be concerned about as a world supply. But, yeah, the trade, if you look at the price, I don't think you can say it's they're pricing, panic pricing in. South America weather, but we need to keep an eye on it, because the reality is we're still in La Nina, and we've been in La Nina now going on three years, and those last couple of years with La Nina, South America crops have struggled a little bit, and like you said, if you look at the balance sheets in the world, you're like, hey, that's not a problem, but the balance sheet is assuming we're going to have these record acres and record yields out of South America that are far from guaranteed.
1: They certainly are a lot of winter and that growing season down there remains ahead of us. Jim, I'm curious about the energy markets. If we can take a look over there, we've got crude dropping down another buck fifty today. Is the are the recession concerns going to push this crude oil market lower here over the next couple of weeks in your mind?
10: I think over general, it's probably going to. We are trying to find a little bit of technical support on the crude here near last week's lows and right near the 50-day moving average. But the reality is the inflationary pressure is still on. The Fed's probably going to raise interest rates as we go into their meeting in December. That's going to pressure on the market. The other thing I think the market, Mike, is looking at is what's going on in China. China is still the behemoth of the world economy. They are the big importers of energy and commodities. If you look at COVID cases right now, their COVID case count is the highest it's been all year. Now, China, you might have heard, has pivoted away from the zero COVID policy. Well, they haven't quite pivoted away from it. What they've done is instead of, if if you had COVID, it tested positive, your producer has got to go into lockdown just like you, Traditionally, the producer's wife would have had to go into lockdown, the secondary contact. She doesn't have to go lockdown, but since you have it and you have producers around, you both still have to go to lockdown, and maybe the lockdown instead of 10 days isolation, it's five to seven, but they've still got a very tough policy COVID-wise that throws just a lot of sand into the grease of the world economy of production, and if that's the case, the demand for crude oil in China goes down. And you're going to see that bleed into the energy markets. I think that's part of the reason why crude oil is down, like I said, almost $2 today.
1: All right. We'll continue to watch what happens over there in Asia. Global markets certainly matter to our bottom line. Jim, before we let you go, we're seeing some more volatility in the wheat market here. I imagine this has to do with the missiles that landed in Poland?
10: Exactly. The market skyrocketed yesterday when those missiles landed in Poland the world was afraid that was a the conflict in ukraine was going to be expanded or maybe the russians were going to shut down the grain corridor as we found out it looks like they you know the missile hit it but it's um you know it's not dramatic the grain corridor is going to be open and that's going to put pressure as the world's going to get the ukrainian wheat and corn
1: all right we'll see that market continue to react to the headline news jim mccormick of agmarket.net thanks so much for joining us today thank you and folks, be sure to join AOA tomorrow. We'll be talking to Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, in addition to Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. We'll see you tomorrow for more AOA.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
1: With Harvest wrapping up, Channel Technical Agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on Harvest and an analysis of channel's product performance this year. Don, what does channel have on offer that you're excited about?
7: I am definitely excited about what we have throughout our whole entire portfolio. We've got, you know, the double pearls, which is above above ground protection and we've got smart stacks and the new smart stacks pro hybrids for the the pesky uh, corn root worms pressures that we're facing so very excited we've got everything that that uh, from from the early hybrids to late late hybrids that can cover droughty conditions and also you know the the nice rainfall conditions as well overall very nice portfolio.
1: That was Channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how Channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield.
3: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to ACretirement.org now. That's aceretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.